Well, about a week and a half ago, we had a little bit of drama in the Stauffer household. When uh, Montgomery was diagnosed with diabetes this summer, some of you remember she was out of town. She was uh, uh, in Virginia, went to the hospital, and it was also her ninth uh, birthday. So we asked her what she wanted for her birthday, and she said, uh, I want a hamster. And when your nine-year-old, who has just been diagnosed with diabetes, uh, asked for a hamster, you buy her a hamster. So we got back from vacation from the beach, and uh, one day Megan took Montgomery over to PetSmart and picked out a beautiful little hamster that she named Nugget because she looked like a chicken nugget. Well, Nugget became a part of the family this summer. Montgomery did a good job feeding her and giving her water and cleaning her cage and taking care of her. Clayton became a little bit jealous because he didn't have a hamster, uh, but, but she let him play with Nugget. Uh, he would also wake up before anybody else so he could go get Nugget out of the cage and play with him whenever he wanted to. Well, school started. We got back into the routine, and, um, and, and so uh, everything was back to normal. And um, I don't know if you know this, but hamsters are nocturnal. Uh, when everybody else would get ready to go to bed, Nugget would just be getting her day going, right? So everybody's going to sleep. Nugget's running on the wheel and drinking out of the water bottle and, uh, and making lots of noise. Well, Wade took an interest in Nugget. Um, when the big kids would go off to school, Wade would always ask, what's Nugget doing? And he wanted to play with the hamster. And uh, he'd always want to go and see her. Well, so one day, about a week and a half ago, the kids were at school, and Wade said, where's Nugget? What's Nugget doing? And we went over to the cage to look for Nugget, but we couldn't find Nugget. Uh, we looked in the, in the stuffing uh, where she usually sleeps, wasn't there. Looked uh, on the second story of her house, she had a two-story cage, and Nugget wasn't there. Well, I noticed that the door to Nugget's cage had been pushed open, and Nugget was not in her cage. So a little bit of uh, panic ensued, but the kids were at school, no problem. We got time to find this hamster. First thing I did was lock the dog up in his kennel. Uh, didn't want Bailey to find the hamster, and we looked all over for this hamster. We looked in the playroom, we looked in the bathroom, we looked under the beds, we looked in the closets. Uh, an hour, hard hour looking for Nugget, and we could not find this little hamster. Well, I just assumed that she would appear whenever she was ready. Um, I wish this story had a better ending. <laughs> A few hours later, I walked into Megan's office to get an envelope, and there in the middle of the floor was Nugget. Unbeknownst to me, Bailey the dog had already found Nugget, and uh, he had made the unilateral decision that we still needed to be a one-pet family. <laughs> so sadly, I took Nugget down to the back end of the backyard, and I gave her a proper burial. It was my day off. I didn't plan on working that day, but I did. I said a prayer over her. And then I waited for my sweet nine-year-old daughter to come home from school that afternoon and break the news to her. Nugget lived a good life, about three months, um, and there's now great tension between Montgomery and Bailey the dog. Life's not fair. We all seem to learn this early. Things happen that don't make sense. I just told you a, a story about a hamster but the truth is there are a lot of bigger things in life that aren't fair. A young mother diagnosed with cancer. 
a child that has a brain tumor at the age of six. A young father is an alcoholic and he takes his anger and frustration out on his wife and kids. A young married couple has been trying for years to conceive, but nothing has worked. All of their friends are having children. A husband abruptly leaves his wife and she has to take care of their one child. A groom leaves a bride at the altar on the day of their wedding. Someone's character is smeared by a rumor that's not anywhere close to being true. Someone who cheats in business makes millions of dollars and gets to retire early. A baby is born into abject poverty and never has a chance. A, a child is hit and killed by a car at the age of seven. Life is not fair. We all know this is true, but so many things happen over and over and over again that seem to remind us that this is true. But whoever told us that life was supposed to be fair? Whoever told us that everything would work out just the way that we planned for it to? Where do we get our concept of what is fair and what isn't fair? A wise Episcopal priest once said this, life does not adjust itself to us. We have to adjust ourselves to life's inconveniences, to life's disappointments. We don't get everything that we want. We can waste a lot of energy blaming people, and sure, it sometimes feels good to kick somebody else around. We can waste a lot of energy complaining or lamenting, but people who have a mature attitude expect that they'll have to come to grips with the disappointments that all of us have to face in life. So he then says the goal is to be both realistic and idealistic, to expect life to be difficult and disappointing, but to remain positive and cheerful, listening for the beautiful sounds, looking for the ennobling sight, seeking to discover, to see and perceive, to hear and understand, to know and to affirm. That's what that Episcopal priest once said. In his great book titled Overcoming Life's Disappointments, Rabbi Harold Kushner, who has a number of excellent books, if you're looking for a good spiritual book to read, he says this, Every disappointment, every rejection, every dream that doesn't come true leaves a wound in a person's soul. Major setbacks, a divorce, bereavement, infertility, crippling illness, losing a job, all leave permanent scars. Smaller disappointments like being passed over for a promotion or having a close friend suddenly uh, become too busy to find time for you these leave smaller wounds, but wounds nonetheless. The question is not, can I get through life without some failures and rejections? You can't. And the more that you aspire to in life, the more you yearn for, the more scars you will accumulate along the way. The real question is, how will you respond to the disappointments in life? with bitterness and envy and self-doubt, or with resilience and patience and wisdom. Many of the things that happen to us in life, many of the situations that cause us to think that life is unfair are out of our control. We don't choose them. We don't want them. And oftentimes we don't expect them. 
What is in our control is the way that we respond and the way that we move forward or don't move forward. It's been said before that life is 10% the hand you're dealt and 90% what you do with that hand. Jesus used parables to teach us about the kingdom of God, and we've been looking at some of these parables this fall. Some of the parables were very straightforward. They were very clear. You can understand them. You can say, ah, I see what he's trying to say there. But other parables are not so clear. They're not straightforward. And so you hear them and you, you sit back. You're like, wow, that, that confuses me a, a little bit. Well, today we have one of those parables that's a little bit confusing. He says in Matthew 20, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And the story goes on to tell how the new laborers were added every three hours, almost up until the end of the day. The final few were added at five o'clock, and they only worked an hour, if that. And then much to the surprise of everybody, when the day was finished, the landowner paid them all the same wage, regardless of how long they had worked. That's not fair, is it? What are we going to do with this parable? What are a bunch of Western capitalistic Americans who generally believe that in life you earn what you deserve? What are we going to do with this parable? Shouldn't they have received different amounts of money based on how much time they worked in the vineyard? Wouldn't that have been more fair? Is Jesus advocating some subtle form of socialism here? I've heard people say that before. Let's set the context. Back in Palestine, when the grape harvest would ripen about the time of year towards the end of September, so about this time, there was a small window to collect the grapes before the rain would come. And if the harvest was not collected before the rain started to fall, then the harvest would be ruined. And so landowners had a small window of time to recruit workers to come and gather up all the grapes in the vineyard. The marketplace was basically a labor exchange. Men would come early in the morning with their tools and they would wait to be hired. The fact that some of them would wait until 5 o'clock p.m. at night to get a job showed how desperately that they wanted to work. And their families were counting on that income for food and to live it was common in that day for laborers to get added throughout the workday. And so in the end, they all received the same wage in this parable, which is one denarius. The truth is, the workers were not really worried if they were hired in the morning or if they were hired at midday or in the afternoon. They just wanted the opportunity to work. What are the lessons of this parable? What do we take from it? I would say the first lesson is that it doesn't matter when we grasp the kingdom of God. Salvation is there for all. And there aren't levels of salvation based on how long you've been a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian meritocracy. Jesus was very clear to his disciples that just because they had been around since the beginning of his ministry, they were not superior to or more important than the newer followers. You see, certain Christians and certain church members 
think that because they've been around for a really long time or because they've been around the longest, they are the holiest. They are superior. Certain people look at new people with skepticism and they think, you know, your opinion is not as important as mine because I've been around here since before you were born. I have more invested. I've paid my dues. Who are you to come in here and try to throw your weight around? Yet nobody owns the church and nobody owns the kingdom of God. It's open to all. And God rejoices the same if a child is baptized or if a 95-year-old makes a confession of faith for the first time on his or her deathbed. There are no levels of piety or salvation. You know, there are many churches that are, that are dying now because they've never been able to figure out how to welcome, and I mean truly welcome, new people in. They think that they're being open and welcoming. They think that they're being hospitable, but they're not. They're exclusive. They're cliquish. They make new people feel out of place. One thing I love about Woodmont, I've loved this for 12 years, is that this is a welcoming church. And I hear over and over again when we have our introduction to Woodmont Luncheon that people just, they felt welcomed here. They felt like they mattered when they, when they showed up. And I hope we never lose that spirit, that sense of hospitality, that sense of welcome, because I think it's so important in the Christian faith. The second lesson of this parable is that it demonstrates the generosity, the love, and the grace of God, which is not earned or merited, but it's freely given. These men did not all work the same hours. They didn't do the same amount of work, but they did receive the same pay. And so it is with the grace of God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, but it's given. And all we have to do is accept it. Grace is a difficult concept for many of us to grasp because in life, you know, we're used to having to pay for things and earn things. We're not used to free gifts. If something is free, we want to know what the catch is. Where are you going to get me on the back end here? This is too good to be true. But God's grace is too good to be true. There's nothing we can do to earn it or achieve it. It's freely given. It's there for the taking. But still many people refuse it and they push it away. It's like, a, it's like a Christmas present that never gets unwrapped and it just sits there for a long time. We're justified by grace through faith and there's nothing that we can do in life to earn or to achieve that grace. We just have to accept it and we accept it through faith. The third and final lesson of this parable, this confusing parable, is that the whole point of the Christian life is not the reward that we get in the end. We all hope to go to heaven one day when we die, yes, but the, the whole point is not the reward that we get in the end, but the spirit and the attitude that we have while we're doing the work. You know, in this parable, there are two different kinds of workers. The ones who came early and they negotiated a contract with the landowner. They said, we will work for you if you give us this much pay. And they wanted to get as much as possible for their work. The reward was their motivation. 
But for the workers who were added later, even up until 5 o'clock, there was no contract. There was no set pay. All they wanted was the chance to work, and they left the reward up to the master. A person is not a true Christian if their first concern is pay and reward. If the first question they ask is, what, what will I get out of it? What, what's in it for me? Christians work and serve for the joy of serving God and others, and then they leave the reward up to God. It's God's reward to give. God is always looking for those who work for the joy of serving and not for just recognition, not for just what's in it for me. The paradox of the Christian life is that those whose aim it is to receive a reward will lose it, and those who forget about the reward will find it. Remember those words of Jesus? Have you ever noticed that many of the Christians that talk the most about heaven are often not the ones working to make this world a better place in which to live? Yet many people that are busy serving others from day to day, they're not that worried about heaven because they're leaving that into God's hands. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard was Jesus' way of telling us that life may not seem fair from our perspective. And there are lots of things that don't seem fair. But God is faithful, and God is present, and God takes care of us no matter what we might be going through. But we have to trust, and we have to believe, and we have to know that God is real. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Amen.